this thing on. You know, I was just so busy connecting because you know how I love to talk to people. Hey, uh, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to, to E3. This is the, the second week of this series we're calling uh, Endless Summer. And uh, we want to talk to you guys about how to have a great summer, how to not end up in September or the end of August uh, as tired as some of you guys are right now. So we're going to be offering you guys just some practical wisdom. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, unplugging, you know, and particularly unplugging from our phones, which is why I'm going to pull my phone out right now and uh, tell you guys what I read this morning. Um, for those of you guys who, are, who have been eagerly anticipating this, there is now an emoji version of the Bible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Isn't it awesome? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, some, some guy made a, an emoji translation of the Bible. However, it is rather limited. It is, uh, it's based on a computer program that detects certain characteristics or strings of characters in the King James Version and then automatically substitutes an emoji, a numeral, or other symbol in their place. So, for instance, there's a phrase in the book of Exodus about twined linen, and twined shows up as a wine glass sandwiched between a T and a D. So this is the best of our culture. Yeah, we're leaning in. So if you want to get an emoji version of the Bible, I completely invite you to go out and get that. I will be sticking with paper here. Um, so we're going to talk uh, today about another aspect of how to have a, a great summer. But before I unveil the word and the wisdom for today, I, I uh, uncovered a video um, that really bridges the gap between last week and this week. And so I want to have you turn your attentions to the side screens. It's going, to, it's going to be about three to four minute spoken word piece that I just thought was pretty cool and really spoke to what we talked about last week and what we'll be talking about this week. So go ahead and watch this. Did you know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone? Kind of ironic, ain't it? How these touch screens can make us lose touch. But it's no wonder in a world filled with iMacs, iPads, and iPhones, so many eyes, so many selfies, not enough us's and we's. See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Because while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express first, Mr. Zuckerberg, not to be rude, but you should reclassify Facebook to what it is, an anti social network because while we may have big friend lists so many of us are friendless all alone because friendships are more broken than the screens on our very phones we sit at home on our computers measuring self-worth by numbers of followers and likes ignoring those who actually love us it seems we'd rather write an angry post and talk to someone who might actually hug us am i bugging you tell me, because I asked a friend the other day, let's meet up face to face. They said, all right, what time you want to Skype? 
I responded with OMG, SRS, and then a bunch of SMHs and realized, what about me? Do I not have the patience to have conversation without abbreviation? This is the generation of media overstimulation. Chats have been reduced to snaps. The news is 140 characters. Videos are six seconds at high speed. And you wonder why ADD is on the rise faster than 4G LTE. But get a load of this. Studies show the attention span of the average adult today is one second lower than that of a goldfish. So if you're one of the few people or aquatic animals that have yet to click off or close this video, congratulations. Let me finish by saying you do have a choice, yes. But this one, my friends, we cannot autocorrect. We must do it ourselves. Take control or be controlled, make a decision, me. No longer do I want to spoil a precious moment by recording it with a phone. I'm just going to keep them. I don't want to take a picture of all my meals anymore. I'm just going to eat them. I don't want the new app, the new software, or the new update. And if I want to post an old photo, who says I have to wait until Thursday? I'm so tired of performing in the pageantry of vanity and conforming to this accepted form of digital insanity. Call me crazy, but... I imagine a world where we smile when we have low batteries because that'll mean we'll be one bar closer to humanity. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I like things like that, not because they, not because I, I fully, you know, want to swing to that way. I mean, like I was just on my phone this morning. The uh, European soccer championships are going on today, so you will find me on my phone uh, at, at healthy intervals. But I think it's important to have these things raise questions for us. It's important for us to be mindful of how we spend our time, how we interact with technology. Uh, and I think pieces like that just do a great job of raising good questions. So, and I also like the fact that it bridges the gap between the word last week or the idea last week, which was unplug, and what we're talking about this week, which is connect, you know? And I realized uh, this week that they're really two, they're two halves of the same coin. Like, you can't really connect meaningfully, which is, I think, what he's trying to say, without unplugging, right? And uh, one of the ways that I think that you can have a great summer and you can really, truly refresh yourself and renew your spirit is by having meaningful connections with people over these, particularly these next few months together. And what I want to do is spend a little bit of time in uh, just a couple passages of Scripture and, and talk about why I think unplug or connecting is a great idea. So in John chapter 15, there's uh, eight verses or so of Jesus speaking to his disciples. And it's at the very tail end of his ministry in, in Jerusalem. And he is He's essentially giving them his parting speech, his last words. These are the most important things I can leave you with. He invites them together, kind of closes the door on the crowds, and really gets down to business with them. And he says, in, in, the, in the midst of a, a long speech, a long discourse, he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. 
Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. And what's the text say? Love each other. Um, I kind of wish Jesus would have just said, hey, this is my command, go to church, because go to church is a lot easier than loving each other, especially in the way Jesus loves us. Anybody feel the same way? If I could just tick off that every Sunday, I'd be like, Jesus, look how good I'm doing. Uh, but Jesus always has a way of you know, raising the bar. So, um, so the reason I, I picked this text, and I picked this text, uh, is really to show you a simple truth, and that is that Jesus lives a connected life right? Jesus is not just a lone ranger wandering around Palestine, wandering around the Near East, healing people, teaching people. That would be great in and of itself if that's what he did. But this text and other texts really demonstrate that Jesus actually lives a really, really highly interconnected life. You know, he's got his 12. Uh, If you read, uh, spend any time in the Gospels, you know that he has three of his 12 disciples that are very close to him, Peter, James, and John. He's got a larger group of disciples. And he is not uh, beyond really sitting down with them and having meaningful, deep conversations. And so right off the bat, if you wanted to say like, well, how do you have a refreshed and renewed and even a spiritual life? If you want to take Jesus as your model, and I do, I would say, man, you've got to have your people. You've got to have the people you connect with. And at the end of Jesus's life, he pulls them together, you know, living out his teaching, the people he's connected with, and he says, look, one of the last things I'm gonna tell you to do is to love each other, love each other. And the last time I checked, loving each other really involves more than one person, right? And we tend to live a very individualistic existence in our country. It's just one of our values that that pushes against sometimes the kingdom value. So we like to think of like, man, I can live this spiritual life on my own or or with my nuclear family, uh, which sometimes blows up in our face, but that's another topic. But we think that we can do this life alone or in a very isolated uh, existence And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Actually, the way to live a Godward life, a healthy life, a refreshed life, is to connect with other people. And he doesn't just invent this, because I also believe that what this text reminds me of is that not only does Jesus live a connected life, but God is essentially a connected being, okay? God, according to the essential doctrines of our faith, is like a three-in-one, the Trinity. Anybody ever heard of the Trinity, Trinitarian God? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. Which means at the very, very basics of our faith is connection. You want to live a life that looks like God, and I do, um, you have to learn to incorporate the idea of connection into your life. 
Because at his very being, at his very essence, God is community, right? So as we go into the summer, you know, uh, we're going to take, probably a lot of us are going to take vacations, we're going to take trips, we're going to go to the beach, we're going to see things and do things, and we're going to have opportunities to do things by ourselves, Uh, we're going to have opportunities to do things with our family, we're going to have opportunities to do things with our friends, and I want to suggest to you that in order to do this right, we have to make certain decisions to not just experience things together, to not just drift through the summer, but to unplug, you know, put our cell phones aside, and then pick times where we can have connected experiences together, where we can sit around a table and have, or a living room, and have a really, really great conversation. But I don't think that this comes easy for us. It doesn't come easy for me. And so what I wanted to do is spend uh, a little bit of time just talking about three simple ways that, that a connected life is challenging for me and three things that I need to fight against in order to get this right. And maybe you have to fight against some of these things too. And the first one is simply this. I have to fight against a life of isolation. All right, it's no joke. I've said it multiple times. I'm an introvert, okay? I get fuel from being alone. I get refueled, reconnected to God through solitude, through just sitting with with God and myself and maybe a Bible or some kind of uh, really, really inspiring text and, and processing that by myself. But if I don't watch that tendency, like that can become very isolating. And so all of my walks are by myself. You know, all of my uh, journeys are by myself. I, I process an experience by myself. You know, last week I, I had a breakthrough in the introvert recovery process, and I went on a run with another human being, right? <laughs> and it was hard because not only like is like my running is kind of one of my, that's me time, right? And even Mark, um, even Mark, when I told him I was starting to run, he was like, he's like, I bet you don't like to run with other people. And I'm like, no. And he's like, it totally makes sense. I totally see that in you. But not only is it that's just the way it is, and that's kind of how I unpack my life, it's hard to run and talk. And so I was running with a guy who really liked to talk, and I'm like, I got I to gotta stop. Like, you know, this is just physiological. But there is an isolating tendency in all of us, I think, not even us introverts, I think there's a, there's a point at which um, connection, radical connection, becomes difficult. And so much so that uh, one of the visions of, of, of hell, uh, which comes out of a book that a guy named C.S. Lewis wrote called The Great Divorce. It's probably the most powerful picture of the afterlife I've ever read. And the book starts off with actually a, a, a picture of hell, And hell, for Lewis, looks like a bunch of houses that are acres and acres and miles apart because nobody wants to be together. And so when he starts his book off in hell, it's essentially a picture of a bunch of people who live lives of extreme isolation, which makes sense when you start from the image of like, hey, God is at his essence, community, I don't ever think God gets tired of the Holy Spirit. It's like, man, I wish the Holy Spirit would just leave me alone, you know? God is at his essence community. So it sort of makes sense, theologically speaking, 
that a life of isolation is actually a life that's pointed away from God, not towards him. And that's something I need to fight against in my life, and maybe you do as well. The second thing that I need to, to fight about, fight about or, or struggle with in, in terms of a connected life is something called, uh, Mark coined this phrase, I think for E3 at least, the idea of energy vampires. The idea that, that sometimes we wanna connect with people, but the people we end up connecting with, have you ever like come out of an interaction with somebody and all of a sudden like you feel like you're just drained of life? There are people in the world, and some of them are good people, some of them um, just in your family, some of them in your circle, <clears throat> and, and somehow they leave you a little worse off than you were when you walked in the room, you know? And sometimes it's not even something explicitly bad. They, there's just something about the way they interact with you and the way they interact with the world where all the, you walk out and you're like, man, I feel tired now. I feel like my energy level has dipped. And uh, I think we all hear that, and, and there's probably, you know, names of people and faces associated with them. I might be one of those faces. I don't know. Uh, there's probably faces that we have associated with that. But here's the deal. I was thinking about this this week, and, and I had to end up, like, really going to, the, to a next level with myself. Because I came to the conclusion that for me, actually, sometimes energy vampires, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Because especially in, in our culture, and that video even pointed at it, complaining and railing against things and people, I mean, let's face it, man, it's election season, right? You can walk into a room and someone can just throw a topic out there and you're like, oh yeah, man, let's get at it right? And I had to look and be honest with myself, and I said, you know, sometimes I like those energy vampires. At the time, it feels good. At the time, it feels really nice to complain and rail against those people, whoever those people are for you. And yet, when it's all said and done, I walk out of that room, and I'm like, why do I feel so bad about myself? It's because I've indulged in something that I really probably shouldn't be indulging. It's the opposite of connection. It's the opposite of healthy connection. Complaining is not connection, you know? And I think for me, and maybe you're the same way, that I just had to be honest with myself. It's like, yes, I have those people that drain me of energy, but sometimes I, you know, if they're a vampire, I'm like, there's the neck. There's the jug. Just go ahead, sink your teeth in. Let's, let's do this for a while. And I wake up later, not literally, but I, I walk out of a room and I'm like, boy, I feel, I feel not elevated, right? So uh, the point being, there are other people in your life that every time you walk away from, you feel a little bit better about yourself. Your energy level goes up just a little bit. Anybody have those people? Yeah. I would actually challenge you, if you have those people right now, just write their name on your fridge fold somewhere because maybe you need to connect with that person. You know, maybe, maybe, you need, maybe you haven't circled around to that person in a long time and, and you're like, boy, I've been draining myself so much. I need to spend some time with, with this person, that man, that woman, that family member, just so I can connect with somebody, all right? And then the last thing that I kind of stray in this, this uh, era 
this, this area of connection, is I start to think about connection in human terms. And this is really related, in a way, to, to energy vampires. I, I think about um, how to connect, but I think about it in, ter- in terms that are way too Eric-centered. All right? And what I mean by that is there's another phrase that Jesus just kind of throws off uh, in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, he is in this huge speech, this huge teaching about sin and, and, and being unified as the body. And he says, look, hey, where two or three gathered together, where, where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Yeah? And, and, it, and we're like, that's really, really cool. Because that means, and I believe this with all my heart, that in a, in a room like this, like Jesus' presence is here. You know, and when you sit down with another human being, Jesus' presence is there. He is with us always. And I don't want to like disagree with anything that, that Lori said, but I think we need to be careful about inviting the Holy Spirit into a room because the Holy Spirit's already there. Yes, he is. He's never not there. Okay? We just need to open our eyes and open our ears to what he's doing. And the Holy Spirit is also looks an awful lot like Jesus. So but here's, here's the deal. This is where it gets kind of funny because I always thought of the, the, that concept of like, yes, that's the church and, and, and when the church is gathered, that's where Jesus is. But when I started to think about it in terms of connection, I started to think about like, okay, so what does it mean that Jesus' presence is in the room with me? When Jesus' presence shows up in the gospels, what tends to happen? Because sometimes my interactions don't always resemble Jesus' interactions. And if I really want to connect in a way that I think is refreshing to me and renewing to me, I really need to be careful about making connection too Eric-centered, and I really need to keep in mind, okay, what, what does Jesus model for me in terms of connection? Because he's like, hey, we're two or more there. I'm there also. All right, well, what does it look like when Jesus shows up? Because it pushes against my notion sometimes of connection, and I think sometimes all of our notions of connection. So I just sketched out a few thoughts. What does Jesus look like? Well, what does it look like when Jesus shows up? The first thing is it looks an awful lot like radical acceptance and grace. I mean, Mark just taught about it a couple weeks ago. You know, the woman who's caught in adultery, and everybody's waiting just to stone her. And Jesus is like, where's everybody who accused you? She's like, they've gone away. He's like, I'm not gonna accuse you. And I look and I think about the interactions that I tend to have with people, and they don't always look like radical acceptance and grace. <laughs> you ever been having a conversation with somebody, and like outside you're like, yes, 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 brother, tell me all about that. And inside you're like, I cannot believe this person. Uh, to connect in the way that Jesus, I think, calls us to connect, we need to be people who can look at somebody just the same way Jesus looked at that woman caught in adultery and go like, I'm not condemning you right now. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Um, the other thing that, uh, the other way that Jesus uh, tends to challenge my idea of connection is that Jesus has this uncomfortable way of calling people to serve. 
And like when I connect with people, a lot of times I don't connect with them in order to serve them. I connect with them sometimes, I'll just be honest, in order so I can get them to do something that I really want them to do. Something that E3 needs done, okay? And I'm gonna sit down with you and I, and I have to caution myself, I'm gonna listen to your story, but can we just get to the part where I can tell you what I need you to do? And yet when Jesus connects with people, we're told in the Gospel of John, also actually in this passage where, uh, with John 15 that we started with, another part of this last time with his disciples, we're told that he gets up, puts a towel around his waist. Anybody ever heard this story? And he kneels down with his disciples and what's he do? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. And so to connect with people in a Jesus way, I need to surrender a lot of times my concepts of getting what I want out of this person and instead asking, what can I do to serve them? What do they need right now? And a lot of times, I must be honest, what they need is for Eric Case to shut up because they just need to talk. So I gotta put my agenda aside, right? It gets, uh, gets even more challenging because I also think about uh, the times when Jesus shows up in, in the midst of people, and you know what he does? He calls them to not just serve, but he calls them to suffer. He says at one point in, in multiple gospels, look, take up your cross and follow me. This is what the spiritual life looks like. At, at one point, his disciples say, Jesus, I, I think you got it wrong. And can you imagine trying to correct Jesus? And he's like, oh, really? There are constant calls from Jesus when he shows up in the midst of people to be willing to suffer. And again, this really pushes back on my idea when I sit down with somebody that I'm gonna somehow come out of this interaction on top. That I'm gonna get what I want and my reputation is gonna go higher and I'm gonna feel better and my ministry's going to advance. When Jesus says, actually, if I was there, Eric, I'd be calling you to be willing to suffer. It might be suffering through this long story that's not ending. Or it might be just suffering through the idea of I came into this interaction, again, with an agenda, with a need, with a desire, and I have to take that need and that desire and I have to just set it aside. And maybe that's a really mild way to suffer, but suffering in its essence is just surrendering your rights. And I don't always do that when I come into connection time. I want to come in to assert my rights, to get what I want, to give somebody a piece of my mind. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Service, suffering, right? Accepting people. Okay. What else? Well, if you to read the Gospels a little bit, you understand that sometimes Jesus shows up in a, in a situation and he's not too happy. Particularly if you're a religious leader at the time, if you're gonna have a connection time with Jesus, get ready, because it's gonna hurt. So Jesus is not nearly above sitting down with the religious leaders, some of them who are called the Pharisees, and he's like, you know, you know what you Pharisees remind me of? And they're like, what, Jesus? He's like, mm, brood of vipers. <laughs> Or just sitting down and going like, hey, let me tell you, Pharisees, let me tell you how you are missing entirely the point of God's work in the world. So what does it look like sometimes when Jesus shows up? It looks like what I would call prophetic honesty. 
And again, there are times where I don't want to hear prophetic honesty in my life. Has anybody ever, ever sat down with somebody and you're like, hey, glad we could have this coffee. Um, how are you doing? And they were like, I'm not doing too good, Eric. I'm kind of angry at you. Let me tell you why. And you're like, well, I, can I just pay for my latte and get out of here? Like, we backpedal. We don't want to have those conversations. And yet sometimes when we connect, if we really just look at Jesus says, hey, two or three people are gathered. I'm going to be there. Sometimes when Jesus shows up, he's angry. Not because... He doesn't like you, but because there's something you need to see about your life that you're not willing to see. And so Jesus says, hey, uh, actually, let me, tell you, let me tell you about some things that you are missing radically in life. And my self-esteem does not like to hear those things. You guys are probably more advanced than I am, but sometimes I'm kind of in the remedial class of life. And my ego does not like to take those things. So the Eric-centered way of connecting with people gets pushed on by the Jesus-connected way. Which brings me to the last thing uh, that tends to happen when Jesus shows up. You see, um, we talked about God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son and, and other scriptures would bear out that if we really wanna know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. I believe that with all my heart, Right? If, if I want to look at the way God is, I'm called to look at Jesus. But there's some paradox and there's some tension there. Because if then the flip side of that, if I look at some of the stories of when God shows up, particularly in the Old Testament, you know what God's messengers or God himself usually has to say when he shows up in front of people? He has to say, okay, don't freak out. Okay. Like when God shows up in the Old Testament, people are like, ah! And he's like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. And they still are like, ah! You know? There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Jonah. And God shows up and Jonah's like, I'm out of here. I'm like gone. He tries to run away from God's presence. And you know what that tells me? What that tells me is that as much as I look at Jesus and I, and I go, man, I know God is full of compassion, acceptance, and grace, I also know that there's something about connection that brings up fear in me. Because when Jesus is gathered and God is gathered and amidst two or three people, there's a part of me that's gonna run from that. Because intimacy for me is hard. Telling people and sharing my life and exposing my life to people is really, really <laughs> difficult. And it's gonna take sometimes everything in my being to sit in that place around that table and to hear words of honesty, to hear where I'm not pleasing people, to hear where people need more of me or want less of me. And I think it all boils down to this. Um, connection is a paradox because a lot of us have tried in this room, I know, have tried really, really hard to connect. I know I have at times. But a lot of times, the way I try to connect is for me to sit down and go, let me see what I can get out of this relationship. Let me see if I can get my, my ego fed, my self-esteem fed. Let me see if you can make me feel better about myself. And yet what Jesus says is the way to connect when he's connecting, when he's there, it's through service, it's through suffering, it's through letting other people speak. It's through setting aside my agendas. 
So some of us have never considered the idea of like connecting is not about, is the way to connect is not about seeing what I can get. It's about seeing what I can give. Like we're so desperate for that and we know it refreshes our souls. But we also sit down and we ask people to coffee so that they can give us something. When I would actually say that what Jesus says is, look, Jesus is the ultimate giver. And it seems counterintuitive and paradoxical, but connection starts with sitting down and going like, how can I serve you? I really wanna tell my story right now, but why don't you tell me your story? I really wanna tell you what I need from you right now, but why don't you tell me what you need from me? I wanna tell you about that thing that you do that bothers the tar out of me, but why don't you tell me about the thing that I do? All right, and as we go into the summer and we sit with those, let's, hey, let's be honest. I'm, I'm having vacation with my family in like five days. And if you don't think that some of my family does not just work my last nerve, right? Because I'm human. And don't you sit out there and be like, well, my family's perfect. I don't know about you. No. But if I sit down with them and I'm like, you know what? Let me not worry about what I'm going to get out of this. Let me, let me think about how I can serve my family. My connection time will be significantly deeper, right? Let's, uh, let's stand up and I'll praise the band and we just do the final song.